Uh, my name is Dwight, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are wrapping up Lamentations this morning, which Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament. Uh, we're not wrapping up the series, though, because the series is Lament and Joy, and so we're going to spend the next two weeks uh, looking at, uh, well, that joy aspect, and some of it has been traced throughout uh, this series, but we're going to hone in completely on joy over the, the coming two weeks. But uh, Lamentations is really a very misunderstood uh, book. It just seems really, really sad, and it is for very good reasons. Uh, what was happening is that in 586 uh, BC, the, the city of Jerusalem was besieged. There were people camping out all around it, and they overtook the city, and the people had to leave, and they left to go into Babylon, and the city was left uh, in, in exile, really, right? The people were exiled, and there was no one left in, in the city. And so this is where Lamentations comes from. It's not like, oh, buddy was just having a really down day. You know, he went through isolation and had to do a 14-day quarantine. That's where Lamentations comes from. No, it comes from, like, the gut of losing everything. This is where it's, it's born from. When you lose everything and you're honest about it, you start to say things like Lamentations and what we just heard uh, Rob read in Lamentations 5. But Lamentations 5 is really all about regret, regret. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, something that we love to acknowledge, the regrets that we have in our life. How many of you have some sort of regret? All right, so half of us, the other is liars, so regret that you are a liar. Um, all of us have regrets, right? If we're, if we're really honest, we all regret something, and, and sometimes it comes out most clearly at the end of life where someone would say, oh man, I, I wish that I would have valued family more than my job, or I wish that I would have done something that was more meaningful and in line with my passions and pursuits, um, or maybe I wish that I would have mended that relationship with that person, and often at that point, it's too late that we let regrets keep going, 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 and we, we never actually deal with them, or we deal with them in the wrong way, but regret is really powerful. Regret is really powerful because it causes uh, one of two things to happen. One, it can overwhelm us with guilt. We feel like we've made the wrong decision, we've made the wrong choice, and for the rest of our lives maybe, we could spend trying to atone or pay back for that guilt. Uh, tonight, let me let you into my personal life a little bit. Tonight at 8.20, no one is invited into my life unless you enjoy American football. Because tonight, my favorite quarterback and my favorite team are going to play. And my son is fist pumping in the back. That's right. Uh, Tom Brady. Okay, American football, that's a thing. Some of you don't know it's a thing. It's a real thing. Um, and we, as the Patriots, I love that I side as the we, right? But we traded him away. And we're going to find out tonight whether we really regret that or not, whether that was a dumb decision uh, to make. And then we have to live with that regret. And maybe for that coaching team and the, the owners, uh, if, if they feel like, man, we did, we made a big mistake, they might spend the rest of their lives trying to coach and show that it's actually not about Tom Brady that made that team really good, a certain player, but actually them, right? The guilt can overwhelm us that we made the wrong decision. How many of you actually do like American football? <laughs> Great. Awesome. So, none of, like, that just landed on no one, okay? So, sport team trying to throw such thing down there, right? I won't get into any of that. The other powerful thing about regret is that can it, it can lead us to actually being free. And that seems counterintuitive. But if we actually deal with regret properly, it can lead us to change and free us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Lamentations is... Um, 
all these verses full of circumstances based on the people of God's decisions that they've made, that they have to live with. And they're full of regrets. They're full of shame. They're full of guilt. They're full of sorrow, right? These are regrets, three sisters that, that she walks around with. Guilt, shame, and sorrow. But how do we move out of regrets? How do we move out of that? When we actually regret something and own it, how do we move out of that place? How do we get out of there? Or is it something that we just have to live with? I'm just owning the fact that I have these regrets in life, and this is just going to be something that I, I deal with for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't think that's the answer, and I don't think that's what we see in Lamentations. And Lamentations is just a piece of the overall Word of God, so we believe that this is God's gift to us, that it speaks to us, that He speaks to us through it. Um, about 18 years ago, if you would have told me that, I would have said, you're crazy. Like, how does God speak to us through a, a book? And yet he convinced me otherwise, and he's changed my life and many others' lives through it. So if you're here and you're full of doubts, I would say, you're so welcome here. I'm so glad that you're here. And I would, I would invite you to imagine that this were true. Imagine that there is a God that wants to walk with you in light of all the regrets and shame and guilt and sorrow that you're experiencing in life. And examine whether the good news that he offers out is better news than the news that you've been believing. So I'd invite you into that, all right? But I want to start with the guilt and the shame that these people would have been experiencing. So I'm going to turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a book in the Old Testament. The Bible's broken up into two big sections, Old Testament before Jesus and uh, New Testament after Jesus came. Uh, we do have Bibles in the back, I believe. Yes? Yeah, big head nod in the back. So please take one. Take one with you. It's not stealing if you take a Bible from here anyway. Uh, indigo, you'll probably spend some time doing prison ministry maybe, but uh, for here, please take it. Uh, Jeremiah 25, verse 3, listen to this. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I spoke it to you persistently, but you have not listened. For 23 years, the same message has kept coming. Some of you aren't 23 yet. So that means for your whole entire life, every day this message has been coming to you. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, and here it is, turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. And here it is. Therefore, says the Lord, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. The big idea of this is that they were given plenty of warning. God says, you're my people. You're my people. Turn away from the other gods that you're worshiping. And don't just think of gods like... Um, like maybe in India, where you'd go and you would see all these temples and shrines, little gods. Don't just think out there. 
Uh, we can make gods of a lot of things. In fact, we can make a god out of almost anything. So for many people, American football is a god. There's sports heroes. They come into the temple of the stadium and they worship their gods and hopefully their god comes out in front, right? We can do that. It could be just a game or it could be a religion. We can do that with our spouse or a relationship or money or vocation or a video game. We can do it with anything. And he was saying, you're going after all these false gods. And so because of that, I'm sending you into exile. You had 23 years to say, okay, I give up. I did it. I'm guilty. I took the cookie. I'm so sorry. I want you. But for 23 years, you've been saying, no, 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 it wasn't me. And so finally, God says, okay, I'm going to send you out of my place. And you're going to experience life without me. And I'm going to give you up to your desires. Uh, Listen to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by a man uh, who took uh, another man's wife for himself and then killed the man. These are the type of people who write the Bible. Uh, Verse 3. I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. He wrote this right after finding out that he was really guilty of this. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This was written by a guy named David. The Bible says that David had a heart like God's. It wasn't because he did everything right or perfectly, but his heart was very soft. And when God came to him and said, you're wrong, David, he says, you're right, I am wrong. And I want you, I don't want that. And so he writes the psalm, and we'll look at it at the end, but that's what God wanted from his people. To just say, we've been going after the wrong things and we want you. But they didn't see their guilt until they were experiencing the the harsh circumstances of exile. In Lamentations, we're going to hang out in Lamentations for our entire time. In Lamentations 1, uh, verse 8, it says uh, this, Jerusalem sinned grievously. They finally saw, okay, we did it. We've done what is wrong. We've, we've, we haven't been pursuing the one that we were made for and made by. And they were blinded by the, the false gods that they were going after. They were blinded by it. Have you ever pursued something so diligently and then someone came along to you and said, man, that's way off. That's going to lead to this place. And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that at all. You were so tunnel vision focused on that thing that you couldn't see the full perspective. And this is what their worship of their little gods was doing. And for us, we already mentioned these, but that could be a job that you're so focused on doing this that you miss out and, and all kinds of people lose out on the relationship that they no longer have with you because of that. You see, this is so important to God. I mean, you could think it's fickle, right, to say, God, why is this such a big deal to you? If you're, if you're God, why do you need your people to be excited with you? And why do you need the attention of, of your people? Why can't you, you just do you, God, and they'll do them, and you'll exist kind of in the same universe, and it'll be fine? The reason is because God knows that he's what they need and that he's actually what's best for them. And he doesn't want for them to experience second best because second best is the enemy of the best. Good is the enemy of the great. And so God is saying, I want help to help you wake up because nothing so far is 
doing that. And so they get into exile and they're, they're focused on their regret. And that's what Lamentations 5 really is. These are our circumstances. This is our life. This is what we've done. Is this as good as it gets? This is where we make a, a hard turn. Um, my friend Adam, uh, Ramsey just wrote a book called Truth on Fire. And in that book, he talks about um, that, that churches typically are, are churches that love truth or that love feelings. And so we're really heavy on truth and we all like cerebrally like nod our head like, mm, or we don't nod our head at all because that's too, that's too feely. Um, it might acknowledge something is going on in here, not just here. Um, then the other side is a feely that we just want to feel all emotions and, and be pumped up. And, and Adam in his book is saying we need both. We need good truth to lead us into celebration. That we can be excited because of the reality of what God has done and what he is doing. And so what I want to do is, is I want to throw touchdowns. That's when you score in American football, okay? I, I want to throw what I would say are gospel touchdowns. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. So I, I want to help us see how we actually work through our regrets, our guilt, our shame, our sorrow with good news and with God, okay? So I also want to give you permission um, to go ahead and, and be excited if something is exciting you. Um, my, as I prepared for this, you have to picture I'm sitting in the attic in my house, okay? Okay. Um, and I kept reading through Lamentations 5, and then I would see the connection of good news, and, and I would just like, you know, fist pump, right? And like all these little celebrations, and I didn't want to be too loud because I didn't want the kids to come up, but I've celebrated this all week long, right? What you're going to hear is really good news despite the circumstances that you might have, have orchestrated to put yourself into, all right? So we're going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate. I'm inviting you into that, all right? Good. Um, so here's what, here's what this is in Lamentations 5. It's a confession of circumstances. And we did a confession. I thought, I don't know. I'm all mixed up. This morning at NDG where I preached first, their thing was on that side. So I was pointing to that side. Anyway, we confessed this morning. We confessed that how, we're, how we go astray. But, but we do that. We, we confess how we go astray so that God can confess his love for us anyway, despite what we have done. That's a good news for us, right? And so uh, here's how we bring our regrets to him. So I want you to imagine that the things that Jeremiah um, experienced and the people of God experienced happened to you as well, that you're experiencing this, that you're now living in exile, that this is happening in Montreal, in Canada, all right? So Lamentations 5, let's go for it. And this is going to be fast. We're just going to, we're just going to, I'm going to celebrate and I'm inviting you in. Lamentations 5, verse 2. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our homes to foreigners. Your inheritance, you think about that, what you're going to get or what you've already received, that's to provide for you for the future. Your homes, that's a place of stability and comfort. But if you get dragged out of Montreal and you're living on the South Shore in that like crazy thing that's known as the South Shore, um, you're living on your own, no inheritance, no way to get back to your home, someone else is living in that, like you're going to have lots of questions that you ask. You're going to have lots of regrets, most likely, of, man, why did I move to the city? Why did I buy that house? I didn't know that it was that volatile. I didn't know they were besieging our city. I didn't know all these things. Regret can easily 
set in. But the good news that we have in Scripture is this, that even though we might lose our inheritance and our home here, Jesus has given us an inheritance that cannot be taken, right? He's given us a place with him in his home, that Jesus is preparing a place for us right now, not in a far and distant galaxy that he'll visit once in a while, but he actually says, I'm building a place for you connected to my dad's house, that he wants you close in proximity because he delights in you. He is not embarrassed by you. He does not for a second regret coming and purchasing you for himself. Not for a second. This is good news for us, especially in the midst of our deepest regrets. You see, you can lose everything here, but you'll never lose him. Because you can't. Because he can't unlose you. Or he can't lose you. Words are hard sometimes on a Sunday morning. But he can't lose you. He can't lose you. Even if it's all your fault. Right? How good is this good news? When does it become not true? Even if it's all your fault, he won't let you go. This is all their fault. And he's saying, you are mine. This is good news. In chapter 5, verse 3, we have become orphans fatherless. Our mothers are like widows, right? They're losing their family. Imagine that you lose your family today, and it's your fault. How's that going to sit with you? What issues are you going to have? Probably going to need counseling. How do you work through that regret without having that sit on you for the rest of your life? Well, here it is, that be, even though you did that, and that might be all your fault, you were adopted into the family of God. That Jesus came to bring you into adoption by his Father. And it wasn't because of how awesome you are. It's because of how awesome he is and what he did on your behalf. And he came and he found the worst kids in the orphanage, us. And he said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you and make you part of my dad's family. That's good news. Though, though you see the unlovely things about you and though he sees it, he's making you lovely. He's, don't, don't sit in that regret. Don't sit in that regret. Bring it to him. That you're also part of the, the bride of, of Jesus. The church is the bride of Jesus. And in the Revelation, which is the end of the Bible, it says that the bride of Jesus wears white. Brides wear white to demonstrate purity, that, that we are pure not because of our actions, but because of Jesus' actions, and because of him, we get to wear white. We get to wear white. This is good news for us. This is really good news, that we are not, we are not cast aside, but rather we are brought close as family. Keeps going in verse 4. We must pay for the water we drink, and the wood we get must be bought. That's not weird to us in our culture, right? We, we buy water instead of drinking uh, city water often because who knows what's in city water, right? Uh, what's all that white stuff in it today? It's like, no, it's fine. Just drink it. It'll be fine. But we, we buy bottled water, but they didn't buy water in that day. And yet now they're needing to, to buy water. They're, they're needing to pay their way, and and. If we, we move from that realm, the physical realm, into the spiritual realm, many of us have ideas about God that, that are like that. 
that we feel like I need to buy my way back to God. I have all these regrets, and now I need to pay for them. I need to atone for them. And if I do enough, then maybe he'll accept me. But that's just not who God is. He doesn't make you buy your way in. You can't buy your way in. Jesus stood up at one of the big religious festivals in his day, and he said this. If anyone thirsts, this would have been really awkward, by the way. But Jesus embraced awkwardness and went forward with it. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They're like, well, where's, like, where's this water? <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm the living water. Like, you need, you need me. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his Chronicles of Narnia, wrote the, the Silver Chair. And it tells the story of, well, one of the parts of the story is about Jill uh, coming into Narnia. She's a very self-confident person. And listen to when she meets Aslan, the lion. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Well, then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, asked Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Well, I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Well, then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill. Another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. Well, there is no other stream, said the lion. Jesus said, I will quench your thirst. I am the only one that will satisfy you. There is no other stream for you to go to. Come to me and drink. Come to me with your regret. Come to me with your shame. Come to me with your guilt. Come to me with your sorrow, and I will satisfy you. But do you know what that means? That means we have to give up, and we don't like giving up, do we? We like to make a way on our own. It's like, yeah, Jesus got me this far, but now I can keep going. But there's no river up there. I'm, I'm the only river, and you have to take me with you. You're invited with all your regret, all your shame, all your guilt, all your sorrow to enjoy him and be satisfied by him. I don't know what you're going through, but this is really good news for any of us. And, and I really hope, and, and I don't, I stop and do this um, often when, when I just sense that we're only getting cerebral information. I hope that this is dropping from your head into your heart. I know that traditionally we're not a like, yeah, culture. And I'm not even looking for that. But I hope that inside in your heart it's exploding with joy right now because of what Jesus has done for you. I hope that you're overwhelmed with the hope that you can have despite the regret, guilt, shame, or sorrow that you might be walking around with. Are you exhausted from life? Are you exhausted from life? They were. Listen to verse 5 and 6. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We're given no rest. We've given the hand to Egypt and Assyria to get bread enough like 
we are exhausted. We don't know if we can go forward anymore. If you're like that, listen to what Jesus says to us in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop trying to manipulate rest on your own. I want to give it to you. Stop your religious workings. I want to give you real rest. Take my yoke upon you. Not an egg yoke, but like a yoke that would get put on to cattle. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus also said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Do you know what happens when you eat bread? I mean, it's glorious, or it's poisonous, you know, or it's whatever, right? My wife is, has celiac, so you, you give her bread, that's really bad news for her. Um, but when you put it into your body, you lose control. No longer are you in control. Whatever was in that bread is now in your body, and it's going to do its thing. And Jesus, when he said, you've got to eat my flesh, right? you have to eat me. He's saying, you have to take me in in such a way that you no longer are in control. And I am going to be the one that's Lord over your life. Don't, don't buy your bread so that you can manipulate your life and control your destiny. Give up. Jesus is inviting you to give up and to let him be, be Lord and, and ruler over, over everything. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities. It, it stinks if your parents or generations before uh, you did certain things that you inherit and walk into. As a society, we've done that, haven't we? Uh, we have done certain things that now we bear the, the ramifications for, and we need to figure out how to make those things right. But they were bearing the full weight of the fathers and mothers, for sure, sins. But here's the good news for that is that Jesus, as he came to earth, he, he lived a, a perfect life unlike your ancestors. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then went to the cross intentionally so that he could bear the full weight, not just of mom and dad's and our ancestors' rebellion, but also yours. And he came through and he collected all your rebellion and all your shame and guilt and sorrow and suffering that has been done to you and you've caused. And he sucked it all up into this cup. And on the cross, he drank that cup so that there's no more penalty or consequences for what you've done. He's removed it. And if you'll submit to him, he will rescue you, he'll forgive you, and he brings you into his family. And as he died and they put him into a grave three days later, he rises from the grave so that he could be the one by his spirit to personally invite you into his kingdom. This is good news that you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. This is good news. This is another gospel touchdown that, that Jesus has thrown for us to be the, the, the recipients of. This is good news. Verse 8, slaves rule over us. There's none to deliver us from their hand. Imagine being here that, that no one could deliver us, no one could rescue us. And yet Jesus comes and he does that. And his kingdom is undefeatable. His kingdom is impenetrable. His kingdom is unshakable. And he invites you to, to receive him as, as your deliverer and as your refuge that you get to move into him 
and find all of your safety and comfort and joy in him. This is good news. Verse 12, princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Imagine that we, we came out and we saw in, in Montreal that all of our leaders were being hung up and all of the church leaders were being hung up. And our enemies were showing us that now we are, we are powerless, right? Devastating. Yet this is what they're seeing. And yet the reality of the good news is that Jesus was hung up and punished for us so that we could be free. He is, he is the leader who will never leave us, forsake us, or fail us. He is the leader who was hung up and yet got himself back up out of the grave so that he could be our leader. This is good news. Verse 15 The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Do you feel because of your regrets or the guilt or the sorrow that you're under that you have no joy anymore? That that it's just gone. That there's no more celebration. That your life is characterized by mourning. This was them. This was them. This is what their experience was. And yet they were invited, despite the circumstances that they were in, they were invited in that moment to experience a joy that God had for them. Because joy isn't based on the circumstances that are around us. Joy is, is buried deep, deep, deep into our heart. And that's where Jesus wants it to land. In fact, as Jesus was walking in the earth, he says, my joy I give to you. Like, I'm giving it to you. It's not muster it up. It's not... See if you can take a joy 101 class and figure it out. It's, I'm just going to give you my joy. And that joy can't be stolen by anyone. Right? This is what we have. It's immovable. And he wants to turn our mourning into dancing. Um, there's a story in the New Testament about Paul. Most of you would know who Paul is, and this guy named Silas, and they were imprisoned. They were out sharing about who Jesus is, and they were put in prison, and if you're in prison, probably you're trying to figure out, like, how do I talk to my lawyer? How do I get out of here? I'm claiming my rights. But instead, they sat, and they started to sing. Most likely, well, I know Paul and Silas were human, so most likely they have re regrets because of that. Should we have come to the city? Man, are we actually effective in prison? Did we, did we do what we're supposed to do? Is this our fault? And then all of a sudden, they just start singing. They start singing, and, and the song I imagine them singing is, there's one name under heaven where we must be saved. And then it keeps going, forgiven of my sin, baptized in the water, filled with the Holy Ghost, I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, free, I'm really free, my friend, freed by the blood of the Lamb. You imagine the prisoners being like, what is going on? Like, why are these two guys singing this stuff? And then... At the end of that song, it's God's going to move this place. God's going to move this place. God's going to turn this whole world upside down. In the midst of the circumstances that they had, they were reminding themselves of what is most true. And literally in that moment, there was an earthquake, and they were freed, and the jailer was about to kill himself, and they said, no, 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 don't do that. We're all here. We're still here. They explain who Jesus is to him. And then he meets Jesus. His whole family gets baptized. And the church in Philippi starts. And we have a letter in the New Testament to the church in Philippi. That in the midst of our regrets, we can sing with joy. 
in the midst of our shame and sorrow, we can sing because of the joy that's deep down in us that cannot be shaken. That's good news. Sorry you had to listen to me sing this morning. Yeah, amen. It was great. All right. Verse 16, we're almost done with this. The crown has fallen from our head. We've lost our status. No longer are we seen as the special people of God. We're seen more like slaves. And that might happen to you in this life. You might lose all earthly status that you have. But do you know what's most true? Jesus has earned an eternal status for you. And you and I, for followers of Jesus, are going to, in a very real way, rule and reign with King Jesus forever. And that status you cannot lose. And then in verse 18, Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. The, the place where God was worshipped is now empty. But that's not going to last forever. In fact, we see pictures in Scripture of all tribes and tongues and nations around the throne of God. We see in the book of Philippians that I just alluded to um, that by faith or by force, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single human being who has ever existed is going to recognize him for who he is one day. And one day he will get all of the worship. In fact, it says the trees of the field are going to clap their hands that the rocks are going to cry out to who God is, that the oceans are going to ocean to the glory of God, right? I don't know what oceans do other than ocean, right? But all of creation is going to experience shalom. We're, I am most excited about like hanging out with wolves, right? It says that we're going to hang out with all of these creatures that in this life would destroy us and are against us, but in the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing, there's going to be shalom. There's going to be peace between all. That's exciting. I hope to ride a wolf. That would be awesome. A wolf unicorn. Uh, verse 20 and 22. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. They feel like because of their decisions, they feel forgotten, forsaken, and rejected. But do you know what we find out from Jesus? You will never be rejected. You will never be forsaken. That even if you mess everything up, he's going to make all things right. That you can't be made unhis. And he won't forget you. He's written you on his hand. He remembers you. He's for you. He's not embarrassed by you. You're embarrassed to be yourself sometimes. You're embarrassed because of the things that you did or want to do. And if anyone else found out about it, oh, that would be horrible, right? He knows all that, and he's like, but I'm, I'm for you, and I love you, and I want to change you, and I want to be nearer to you, and I have no cancel culture with you. In the kingdom of God, there is no cancel culture. He only cancels sin so that we can be with him. He's not looking to expose you so he can remove you like we do with celebrities. He wants to bring you closer. You'll never experience rejection. That's good news, isn't it? We're rejected all the time here in many different ways. And Jesus says, I will never reject you. I will never reject you. When we pray through, when we pray through our stuff, 
our regrets, our sorrow, all this stuff. Here's where we end up in verse 19 and 21. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. So restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. He, he prays through acknowledging all of his regrets and all the regrets of the people of God. And this is where he lands. You reign. You're in charge. We, we see it now. We get it. We're in. Like, we want to be back in. If you find yourself running from God, stop and say, I get it now. I want to be in. You reign. I want to invite you into this. Take more of me. And take more of the city around me. And show your rule and reign to people in the city. It says also that he restores to himself. God wants us to be with him. This is staggering. We can spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out how we don't hang out with certain people. Right? How we keep our distance. And yet God is saying, I want you near me. I want you to be with me. This is good news. And he wants you right now. If you're saying, man, I've been living so far from him, or I don't, I don't even know him, really. He says, I, I want you right now. I want your heart right now. I want to restore you. And I want to renew you. I want to renew you. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you remember the moment that you became a follower of Jesus? Do you remember it when it went from just like facts to worship? It was, I knew a lot of stuff about Jesus, but now I only want him. And tell me all the facts of Jesus. I just, I just want you. And, and that love for him led you to do kind of crazy things. Uh, I became a follower of Jesus in university, and I immediately went to my fraternity brothers and told them about, about Jesus, right? That's, that's where this love, that's what this love does. It, it wants to proceed out. That, that we have this one who can renew us. We have this God who wants to make us more like him. So let me end with this good news. Though guilt of your actions are real, the forgiveness of Jesus is more real. And he wants to remove that guilt. Though shame threatens permanence in your life, Jesus casts condemnation out of our hearts. And though regret appears to bind us, the gospel is a knife that cuts the rope and lets us go. So if you come to Jesus with all your guilt, shame, sorrow, and regret, he wants to free you from that. You don't need to be defined by those things anymore, but be defined by the, the righteousness, his status being given to you. And so how do, we, how do we really respond to all this? Well, take all your stuff and put it out there. Put it out there. Don't hide it from him. Get out all these regrets. Pray it out. And then make sure you listen to what God has to say. That's what we did. Lamentations 5 was getting out the regrets and then stopping and listening. What does God say in his word? This whole sermon has just been the Bible. Me sharing in, in capsule-sized forms things that Jesus said about himself. So get all the stuff out and then listen to what he says. And then be willing to be sent out and tell a city, that is so heavy and weighed down with guilt and shame and sorrow and regrets about a God who is willing to love them despite those things. Most people feel so unlovable. 
They feel so unlovable. And, and if there is a God, he would never love me. And yet this God that we just looked at, he's drawn to those type of people, isn't he? He's drawn to the people who are overwhelmed and weighed down. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you peace. So let me end our time with just reading that psalm that I read a few verses of uh, earlier. Psalm 51. Remind you, this is written by a man who just was responsible for uh, killing a man to cover up him sleeping with um, that guy's wife. He says, have mercy on me, O God. And these are giving us words, right? Because you might be leaving here thinking, okay, how do I do that? How do I properly, you know, pray? You don't need to invent this. It's here. It's here for us. God gives us words actually to say. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. But behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Dude just took a guy's wife. Just had that guy wiped out. And he's saying, restore to me the joy of my relationship with you. And then I will teach others your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Don't sit in your regret. Don't sit in your shame, sorrow, and guilt. Get it out to him, and then let him speak his words of life over you. So the question to end with is, what guilt, shame, and regret grip you? What guilt, shame, regret grip you still? This morning, let Jesus walk you out of that slaughterhouse and bring you into life. Let me pray, and then then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you for your good news. Thank you that this, I'm just overwhelmed with how much goodness there there is in you. And and we're just, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. And for all of eternity, we're going to continue to explore the riches of, of who you are. I thank you that you are here and you're present with us and you know where we're coming from. You know our hearts. You know what we're struggling with. You know the regrets that we have. You know the the guilt that we're still walking around with. You know how we're trying to hide things and we put on like a little church face so that no one really asks us deep questions. But you search our heart. You know us and you're inviting us out of the slaughterhouse that we put ourselves in. You invite us out of the exile that we we put ourselves in and you invite us uh, into real relationship with you and freedom. Would you free people this morning? 
I want to pray for those who might be here who don't yet know you. Oh, they might have known a lot about you. They might have known facts about you, but they didn't know that you died in their place and you rose so that they could have real life and that you would be the commander, the chief, the prime minister, the Lord over everything. And I pray this morning that they would submit their knee to you and that you would bring real life. And I pray that we as a community, as you send us out this morning, that we would go to people who we know are just full of guilt and full of shame and sorrow and regret and that we would tell of, of this God who, who wants to be involved in that and, and walk them out from that reality. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen.